This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This is part of our current Sunday evening series called 18 Words You Really Need to Know. Well, take your Bible, if you will, and open it up to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as we start our time together tonight. Uh, we've been looking at some key words of the Christian faith, uh, and I think they're, for those that are involved with reading along, I, to me, and, and um, all the, the chapters I read, I thought that uh, the chapter on, on the devil, I thought it was just, I thought he did a remarkable job of laying out in a concise manner uh, the the influence of, of Satan and the devil and what the devil is. And this is what I loved about uh, J.I. Packard's understanding of it. Everything was laid under the foundation of who God is and that everything that we look at, we look at in light of who the Lord is and His holiness and, and His reign and His rule. And, and that's, that's a game changer. When we, when we look at the Christian life apart from who we are in Christ or who we are in the gospel and what God has done for us, if we look at the Christian life apart from that, then the Christian life gets, I like to say, I use this term a lot, it gets sideways pretty quick. And one of the dangers of that is our view of Satan and the devil and spiritual warfare and demons and those things. And we just get all sideways real quick. We, we look at that uh, apart from God's holiness and who God is in our life. So let's look at some different things that I have taught through at different settings on, on Satan and angels and demons. And so, um, but I do want to, to look at God's word yet again and, and have an understanding of who Satan is, but more importantly, what we do based on that. You know, a study like this would spend hours trying to figure out how many fingers Satan has. Does he have horns and not horns? Is he really red? Is he not red? Where did he come from? How did he fall? And we'll talk forever about the things of Satan that don't mean anything. Doesn't matter what he looks like. Doesn't matter how he failed. Doesn't matter all these things that we get so hung up on. What matters is, as a child of God, as a redeemed child of God, how do I live my life understanding there is a devil? And that's a big difference. Instead of worrying about the things we'll never know, we'll focus on what we do know and how that affects our life. Look, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, and I say this often, in the Christian world, there seems to be so many times that we go to the extremes. And we go over here to an extreme, we go over there to an extreme. It's, it would be like uh, the idea that, you know, we've got to, to work to please the Lord. And we work and we work and we work. And, and that's an extreme. And the other extreme in, in that relationship would be grace. Just let grace over, you know, just do what you want to do. God's grace is sufficient. Another way would be God is love, God is wrath. We do the same thing when it comes to the devil. One extreme over here, we blame the devil on everything and we're scared to death and we won't do anything because we're afraid the devil's going to get us. And the other extreme is we walk around like there is no devil. And so I think like a lot of things, we, we have to come to a biblical understanding. 
Yes, there is a devil. But yes, there is a Calvary. Yes, we have an enemy, but he is defeated. Yes, if we're not careful, the devil can get a foothold in our life. But if we stay close to the Lord, the devil can never touch us. And so churches have their personalities. I've been in some churches, they, they're too far over here. I've been over here, and I don't even know if they believe the devil believes. They believe the devil exists. I want us to meet in the middle and see what Scripture has to say about Satan. Second Corinthians chapter 2 will be a verse that will get us started. Verse 11. Now, as we look at verse 11, we're going through the book of Corinthians. In this section here, Paul is dealing with things within the church that are an issue. And there's a point in the life of the church of Corinth here in 2 Corinthians that there's been a brother that has sinned evidently, and Paul is reminding them to act like believers, act like a Christian, and that we need to forgive if there's been repentance and forgiveness. And so the idea is do what you need to do as a believer, follow Scripture, please the Lord, and then it goes into verse 11. And if you're not careful, you just kind of fly through it. You don't realize it's here. I read verse 10. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So Paul's kind of reminding them about what they need to do to forgive. Here's what I want us to see. Verse 11. So that when a Christian is not living a Christian life out, when we are taking Scripture and we are not following the precepts of Scripture, when a, when a Christ follower is not acting like a Christ follower, when a believer is not living like a believer, when we are not living out the gospel life like we're supposed to, so that we will not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your presence in our life your word through the church. Lord, we are aware there is an enemy, but help us to see he is a defeated foe. We are grateful, Lord, that even though we were once dead in our trespasses and prisoners to Satan, that we are free and we have been redeemed and we have been born again and we are now alive. Lord, I pray that we see that as believers we take our faith very seriously and that we take your words and precepts and instruction and we follow them closely so we may know you and, Lord, the power of your resurrection. We thank you, Christ, for that day on the cross and what that means as we live our Christian life out. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what I want us to see, we're going to look at different aspects of Satan and then wrap it up with how do we live that life based on that. There is a Satan, and he is alive and well. And one of the greatest things that Satan would love for you to do is not to be worried about him. Again, we don't need to live in fear and trembling, but what's the opposite of not living in fear and trembling is we don't even do anything. I think we need to be wise. We need to realize there is a Satan and one of the first places he comes is where do you think where do you think Satan was getting in in 2 Corinthians the church the life of a believer 
And he was attacking within the walls of the church, and he was praying upon the church. And his goal is, if I can just get the church not to be the church, then I can have my influence in my way. Think about Ephesians. We're going to turn there in a minute. Don't turn there now. Ephesians 6, verse 11, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities in the spiritual realm. And Paul uses that word, we wrestle. Who's he talking to? The church. He's talking to believers. We're in a battle. We are in a war. We, we know that we are believers. We know that we are in Christ. But they also know that there's an enemy. And that enemy's name is Satan. Seven Old Testament books and every New Testament writer refers to Satan. Jesus referred to Satan in Matthew, Luke, and 11. Our two extremes are we give him too much credit, we run and hide. And J.I. Packard brought out a, an interesting concept I had never really thought about. And it, as we are talking about who we are as Baptists and going back to history and, and going back to the, the beginning of, of the, the Protestant uh, Reformation, he, he talked about one of the dangers of giving him too much credit was what was the landscape of religion back in that day. And we had monasteries and we had... Has anybody ever seen a monastery? They have a monastery in, in Rockdale County, Georgia, and that was you know, just tucked away right in the middle of the Bible Belt. It's this huge Catholic monastery that's still in existence. And and you would go off and, and they, they were, you were so afraid of of of, um, of Satan and, and your life not being worthy and not being able to please the Lord and you were so afraid that you would sin that they would literally, what would you do in a monastery? You would go and you would get away and you would hide and you would seek and, and, and you know, you're a secluded life where you're just afraid if I put up enough walls and I, I do enough spiritual spiritual things that the enemy cannot get me what a sad life another extreme of that is it's a lot of times in our more charismatic and sometimes in our our pentecostal background churches is that we run around and we're so afraid of satan that we live a defeated life and we we blame satan for everything and and it's kind of funny i love to hear people talk and uh and a lot of times i have a pastoral chuckle uh you know, I don't say everything I'm thinking, which is a blessing. Um, but isn't it funny how we give devil so much credit? You know, it's like, you know, we're, we're riding down the road and we, and we have a flat tire. Oh, Satan's trying to keep me from going down the road. Well, what if God's trying to keep you from going down the road? See what I'm saying? Oh, I got a headache. Satan doesn't want me to go to church today. What if you have a headache and God just wants to see your perseverance as a saint and you're going to church today? How do we know who to blame it on? And people go through life and everything that something goes wrong, this is what happened. I, I met a young lady that I had, one of these young ladies that the Lord just keeps putting in your path. It's not that she would, the lady part was not an important, that didn't sound good. Uh, but the Lord kept putting this person who was a lady in my path in, in North Vernon. And she was a proud card-toting Pentecostal. It's kind of funny. Um, and, and so, every, you know, I would see her one day. She's, oh, my goodness, I'm just spirit-filled and spirit-filled and spirit-filled. I'm, oh. And then I'd bump into her later and go, oh, goodness. I don't know what I did wrong, but the spirits left me and Satan's just getting on me. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, what a miserable life. It'd be like being a college football fan. Hey, oh, hey, oh. You know, what a miserable life that would be. 
that we, we blame everything that goes wrong on Satan and what I have done wrong. And it's so sad. We're giving Satan way too much credit. But the other side of the coin is this. If we don't take serious God and his word, we are giving the devil a foothold in our life. You know, I, I, I you always use this as an example because it happens all the time. When the husband comes to you, and I always use an example because you think about the brashness of this. Set up an appointment with the pastor. This has happened 10 times in my ministry at least. Sets up an appointment with the pastor, comes into the pastor's office, sits down across from the, not that the pastor means anything, but you would think, sit across from the pastor, look the pastor in his eyes, the pastor's got a Bible in his hands and says, I'm leaving my wife for another woman because I need to be happy and God wants me to be happy so I'm leaving my wife and I know God is behind this. You know what I said? The first couple of times as a young pastor, I didn't know what to say. And then I got real kind of brash in my spryness and said, you know what? That ain't got nothing to do with God. That is from the depths of hell. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? And so the other extreme is that we take God lightly. We take his word lightly. And we don't respect either. And we just live our life the way we think is best. We try to be moral if we can. We try to do what's good as we can. We paint this picture that God is just, and I think J.I. Packard used this illustration, God is just the happy uncle up in heaven and wants us to be happy. And Satan loves that. You've heard me reference churches that used to be faithful churches many, many years ago. And you think about faithful churches that used to proclaim the gospel. And now you see those churches and they've gotten so far away from the things of the Lord. And you ask, how in the world does a church go from that to that? They take God and they push God aside. They take his word and they push the word aside. And they open up the side door and tell Satan to come in. And they don't even realize it. They're standing in the pulpit preaching and the Satan is influencing them their message and God and the spirit is no longer and you'll be surprised a number of people that will gather and Satan loves it because all he wants us to do is to get our focus off of God and his word so we don't need to be afraid but we need to be aware I don't want to live a life of fear and trembling but I want to live a life of fear and reverence as I lift up the Lord's holiness and the preciousness of his word Real quick, I want to bore you as I read. I always say that meaning I'm going to be looking down a lot. But I want to get through this so I can get to something else. As we look at the personality of Satan, he has intellect. He has emotions. He has a will. He's called Satan, the devil, slanderer, Lucifer, son of the morning, Beelzebub, lord of flies, Belial, lawlessness, the evil one, the tempter, the prince of this world, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, the accuser of the brethren, an angel of light. That's interesting. Just because they have a reverend in front of their name and they have a spot on TV doesn't mean they're a man of God. That Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He is a serpent. Revelations 12, 19, I've always said the next creature up from a serpent is what? Put legs and a big mouth on a serpent, what do you have? A gator. He's also referred to as a dragon. He is a created angelic being. He was created as part of the angelic realm. 
Now, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah, we need to be careful here. I know that all of us jumped to Ezekiel and we jumped to Isaiah and it's telling us about Satan. It's not heresy to do that. I think we need to be careful because it doesn't explicitly say that. And we get our understanding of who he was there. All we need to understand is that Satan was an angel. We know he fell. We don't need to know anything else. We don't need to waste any more time trying to figure out anything else. Like I said, we can be in Bible studies and we will focus on some of the most trivial things I've ever seen in my life. We'll spend 18 months trying to figure out Satan's middle name and how many toes he has. And we never get to the point about what really Scripture has to say about who he is. But this is what we do know. He is an enemy of righteousness. He is a murderer. He is a liar and an accuser and an adversary. We know also he is a limited creature. J.I. Packard said he is a tool of God. I never thought about it that way. He is a tool that God uses to bring about his judgment on society, to bring about temptation. He is not God's equal. He is not omniscient, omnipotent, or infinite in any way. And believers with God's help can resist him. Satan is seeking to oppose God's plan. Now, here's the idea. We have to have a good view of God. We know God has a plan, right? Does God know everything? Yes or no? If we do not know that, then we have got to stop right now and get off Satan and get back on God. He knows everything from beginning to end. He is, he, when he created, he, he sees everything. He, boop, he's there. God has a plan. Nothing is going to alter God's plan. But yet there's a Satan that has some control in God's plan. I believe it may have been John Calvin said this, that, that, that Satan is, is a tool and he is in bondage to Satan. Satan is in bondage to God. And I like the way Calvin said this because this is an illustration I've used in a different way. And he said if you, it would be neat if you think about it that Satan is rolling around and you, his chain, he's dragging his chain behind him. I heard a preacher say it another way. It'd be like, have you ever seen a, a dog chained up in the backyard or something about it? Everybody seems to have pit bulls these days. You know, just something about a pit bull. When you see a pit bull, you just, oh, hey, you know, you got your gators and your bulldogs. They're both evil monsters. We know that. And, and it's funny, though, because if I'm standing in a backyard and I see a bulldog and I see that chain around his neck, you can notice where there's a, there's a, uh, if there's a little stake in the ground, you can see there's a blade of grass where that bulldog can get. Isn't that true? You see a big bad dog and you walk up in the backyard, you know, and we may have all done this at one time or another to see how close we can get to it. Well, as long as you stay where the grass is, you're all right, right? That's Satan and God. He has a lot of control. He's got some things going on, but the end of that leash is God himself. He's a tool and he's in chains with God. And Satan is just running around dragging those chains. There's some indirect activity. He works indirectly through the world in which he has freedom and power. He works through the flesh. You know, I'm a child of God. And every time I go to Cracker Barrel, I eat, I could eat four cornbread muffins and four biscuits and a full entree. And I could say, well, I'm a believer. I've been born again. And if I keep eating like this, I'm going to die. And still would eat it, right? That's temptation. Just because we're a believer, temptation does not go away. Wouldn't it be great to know that once you became a child of God, temptation would go away? That's one of the joys about heaven. But we are tempted. Where does that temptation come from? It comes from our flesh, and it comes from Satan. 
Satan uses our flesh, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sin and were born again, even though I have a new creation, I'm a new creation and Christ is in me until I get to heaven. That's one of the, the, the strange things about death. We weep at death, but in another sense, what a celebration. As sad as it is, when, when y'all stand over my, my grave, my, my, when, when, y- when they sink me into the ground, I want y'all to cry a little bit. But I want somebody to shout. You know, that the, the flesh, it's still there. But the, when, when we enter into the presence of the Lord, there's no more temptation, no more anger, no more. The things that we struggle with this side of heaven is gone. What a joy that is. It's sad and it's, it makes us weep. But as long as we are down here this side of heaven, the devil is going to use who we are against us. And we didn't know that. The world of flesh and the devil are not three separate enemies of the Christian. Rather, Satan works through the evil world system to exploit the fleshly nature that still wars within us. There's also a direct activity. He works directly by deception, temptation, attack, and possession. I will go ahead and say this. For those that are familiar with the Internet, on my own little pastor's blog, I have this as a document in the topical section, Angels, Demons, and Satan. He works directly by deception, temptation, attack, and possession. He tempted Christ. What did, what did Christ use to battle Satan's temptation? You remember? The Word of God. Thus said the Lord. God's Word. He tried to thwart Christ's work. Looked like he did a pretty good job when Christ was dying on Calvary, didn't it? See, Satan is smart, but he's dumb. And here's a great example. God had a plan, and that plan was Calvary. The devil had a plan, get rid of Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to get in Judas, and we're going to get rid of this Jesus. And God says, go right ahead. You know, there's God with the leash. Go right ahead. Satan thinks he's winning. Yes, I got him. They arrested him. Yes. They were praying in the garden, but that wasn't good enough. I got Judas, and now he's betrayed. Oh, there's, put that crown on his head. Drive those nails through his hand. Put him on that big, ugly stick. Put him up. He's dead. I can almost imagine what happened, as I said this morning, when Christ screamed out from John's gospel, it is finished. And then Easter morning when that tomb was empty. See, Satan knows but he doesn't know all things god used satan's desire to get rid of the son to ultimately defeat him and bring us redemption isn't that cool god has a plan but yet there's still things going on this side in unbelievers he binds their minds to hinder their understanding of the gospel so when when someone is rejecting the gospel we know it's almost like a a a demonic thing going on where satan is binding their mind but we know god is working on his end and we work through the power of the gospel so always tell people i don't know where god is working i don't know where satan is hindering but the only way we can determine what's going on is we got to preach the gospel It's not about tricks, it's not about programs, it's not about emotion, it's not about stuff, it's about the gospel. We preach the gospel, we preach the gospel, we preach the gospel, we persuade people to come to Christ. We know that that Satan is hindering, but we also know that God will open up those eyes. He uses persecution and false religions to hinder the effect of the gospel. 
in believers. He tempts believers. I don't know if y'all have this story, but I gave my life to Christ when I was a younger age in my early teens. And then I went through this period of rebellion. And I can remember just being broken over that period of disobedience. And I remember uh, just a, 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 an awesome just come to Jesus service where it was just total brokenness. And, and you know, that's what I tell people, you know, I don't need to give an altar call for people to be saved because God's going to do the saving before you get up out of that pew. But it's just something about standing up when the Lord is stirring and making a public decision. And I'll never forget, you know, getting up and making that decision and rededicating my life. And, it, you know, it, it, it's not, well, I need to rededicate my life. I've repented of my sin. And, and I asked the Lord to forgive me for that sin. And I entered into a relationship. So all this happened on a Sunday. You ever been there and you're just so excited. You're untouchable. You're a child of God. And then you go to work Monday. And, and the cursing is louder. The temptation is stronger. The, the desire to get back in that old lifestyle. I, I use this sparingly. I don't make light of it. But uh, have you ever been, you ever had a bad habit? I don't call it addiction. I think it's a bad habit. An addiction makes it sound like there's nothing I can do about it. Anybody ever have a bad habit? I literally believe that I could ride down the interstate in Cracker Barrel and Chick-fil-A. I could audibly hear their voice. Exit 107, cornbread and biscuits. I can hear butter pecan ice cream in the freezer. I can remember that first Monday coming home and, and getting in the car with my coworkers and they all drank beer and sitting there and literally, I mean, literally it was, I mean, it was spiritual warfare. It's like the beer was talking to me. Drink me. That was Satan. And he said, hey, we gotta, we got to turn it up on this one. He's trying to live for Christ. And I think that so often there could someone that truly be a child of God that really has a sincere decision to do what is right, and Satan gets into them and it tempts them in such a way, and it's so sad. He hinders the ministry of believers. He promotes false teaching among believers. He promotes anger, bitterness, and division. So you can see that Satan is a pretty tough dude, wouldn't you say? Well, here's what we need to be about. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. I think often about ways that I can explain this in my own little world. I think it has a lot to do with those that have been in, uh, I use the military as an example. One of the things about the Marine Corps, I will say, and I use this example often, is they, they really do almost try to brainwash you. And they, they tell you how you are and how, you know, we're the Marines, a few, the proud, they, they mentally get you ready, they physically get you ready, and, and you know, you're a hard-charging, lean, mean fight machine, one shot, one kill, blood, make the grass go, hoorah. And a war breaks out and there's a commercial now where there's a, an obvious something's going on in the future, in the distance, you know, the commercial. And there's all this chaos in the, in the, and you can see it in the distance. And all of a sudden you see these little, these people running toward it. You ever seen the commercial? It says, we run toward the battle. Aren't you glad we had the military? Amen. What if they get killed? 
What if they get shot? What if they get wounded? What if they get into a tough spot? Doesn't matter. That's who they are. That's what they do. I think as a believer, that's the way we have to look at it. We are in a battle. We have to understand that we need to be sharp. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready because we are in a battle. I made light of that this morning, talking about getting up early. That was a, you know, you ever notice the things I'm the most adamant about are the things I used to struggle with. Getting up and getting in the Word. Getting up and getting in prayer. Starting the day off right so that I could live the day right. Those are things I can do. You know, it's kind of simple. Somebody could be, oh, I can't quit doing that. Yes, you can. Stop doing it. Pastor, I can't quit drinking beer. Yes, you can. Stop doing it. It's, I mean, that's simple. Stop doing those things. So we're in a battle. I know we're in a battle, but I'm ready for the battle. I, I'm running to the battle because I know I'm in it. Where do I get that from? Ephesians 6, 11. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, 10 and following. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He is smart. He is real. He is there. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. It's not a earthly battle. It is a spiritual battle. Spiritual things ought to make you very nervous. There's a spiritual realm we cannot see. I'm glad we cannot see it. It would scare us to death. But it's a spiritual realm in which God rules. The devil is smart. The devil has a plan. The devil knows what he's doing. The devil is coming after us. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness. That's kind of scary, isn't it? We're in the battle with cosmic powers over darkness. That's what the devil does against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war. Therefore, take up the armor of God. Now, a lot of times, we as Christians, we try to mess everything up. We try to get so cute with everything. You know, we, we're going to get up and get dressed in the armor. We're going to get up and name it and claim it and believe it. And I just like, blah. The armor of God is not some mystical thing that we do that makes Satan go away. The the armor of God are biblical principles that we believe in and we live out every day of my life. But they're great principles. Because we're in a battle, because we're ready for the fight, and we're going to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Now, how many of you in here, don't raise your hand, because if you don't hear the question correctly, you may raise your hand, then you're going to feel stupid. How many of you think God is a liar? It ain't going to happen, is it? I don't even like to say it. Do you like to hear it? God is not capable of lying. Amen? Notice what His Word says. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. What does it mean to withstand? You're not going to fall into temptation. You're not going to fall prey to Satan. Because we have done these things... We can stand. That's where we get our, our energy, our fight. Our, that's the Marine running to the battle. I'm, I know who I am. I know I'm trained. I know I'm equipped. I've got God on my side. I will withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. What is truth? It's the gospel. 
the Word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, who He was, what He did, who He is, who I am, who I am in Christ, truth. We, we have to be people of truth. We have to be people that knows where truth is. If God tells us to put on truth, where do we find truth? Is truth this to you? Is truth this to that? Could you imagine an education system where there was no truth? Any math teachers around? What if we just went to school Monday and the math department said, you know what, 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4 anymore, 2 plus 2 equals whatever you want it to equal. But it'd be easier to grade papers, wouldn't it? Just give everybody an A. 2 plus 2 is 4. No, it doesn't. It's kind of like today. A man and a woman make a marriage. No, it doesn't. Man and a woman, a woman and a man, a man, we'll be marrying cats and dogs before it's over with. We just take God's word and we just create whatever we want to do. Put on truth. If we're going to fight against the things of Satan, we have to know that there's a truth. And that we're excited about that truth. That God is a God of love and mercy and grace and strength and power. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness the integrity of our our conscience. We know what right is, right? Don't we? You know how many people I encounter out in the society? I I love living in a smaller town because you see people. I, I love the, I know I'm not living right. The pastor knows I'm not living right. Everybody knows I'm not living right. And I looked up and the pastor's standing in front of me, look. I love that. It'd be the same look I would have had. Just do right. God is your judge. I I saw a young man the other day. I'm not making judgment at him, but I'm pretty sure based on appearance and actions. God is my only judge. Don't judge me. Oh, you got that right. How arrogant is that, by the way? No one can judge me but God alone. You got that right. And that is going to be a true judgment based on his holiness. Put on truth. Put on righteousness. As shoes for your fate, put on the readiness given by the the gospel of peace. Every time you tie your shoes, when you get over 50, you have to sit down and put shoes on. I I love being 50. Life is great at 50. Now I have to have a chair in my bedroom to put my shoes on. Every time I sit down and put my shoes on, I'm going to think, Thank goodness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scripture says you put your shoes on before you get ready to go somewhere. Notice what it says. Shod your feet with the gospel. What does that mean? That I know that I have been reconciled to God and I know I'm a child of God. And my the gospel that I know I believed and I've responded to, I know I'm saved. The gospel. Goes on to say. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. You know what I love about the Bible, and my grandmother that's with the Lord, both of them with the Lord now, she gave me a Bible promise book years ago, and it's one of my most treasured possessions. And it's just the promises of Scripture. Matter I have one of those? When we think about, notice what it says, uh, that when we, the shield of faith. Faith is trusting in something. My faith in who I am in Christ. And here's another way to think about it. Packer brought this out. 
Faith in the promises of God. You just take something as simple as a Bible promise book when you're having a bad day. All the promise, would God lie to you? I had a football coach used to say that. I'm not going to tell you what he want to hear, but I promise you I'm not going to lie to you. He'd also say something like this. Don't pay any attention to the tone I'm using, but listen to what I'm saying. I'm not going to lie to you, son. God's not going to lie to us. When you think about all the promises of God, there's some great promises of God about his love for his children and his care for us. That's a shield of faith. I trust him and who he is, and I can believe his promises of which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Do we believe that? My faith in God and my faith in his promises, there's nothing that Satan can say or do that should discourage me because God is on his throne and I am his. And take the helmet of your salvation, confident in Christ's keeping power now and forever. I am was dead and now I'm alive. And to me, eternal life does not begin when I go to heaven. I think eternal life begins for everybody the moment they're born. Eternity in heaven, eternity in hell. My eternal life began the moment that I was saved. And I'm going to be in heaven. And as I think about the things that you may go through, and you think about the military and the analogy, analogy here, do you think D-Day was fun? You know, you think about those men and the women that fought in our war. Do you think about Iwo Jima and the Pacific Campaign? you think about D-Day and Korea and Vietnam and Afghanistan? When you see a, a, a military person with prosthetic limbs walking down the road and, you know, you sit and you think, is that fun? No. But yet as we go through things, we can have confidence that we are Christ. We may go through tough times. We may go through physical affirmities. We may go through discouragement in the day. But we have been saved and we are Christ. And that is my helmet of salvation. I am His. Then it goes on to say, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, you can use a helmet and a shield, and you could use your feet, I guess, as a weapon. But if you think about the analogy here in the picture, what's the weapon? The sword. What is our weapon? The Word of God. What did Jesus use? The Word of God. Real quick, and I know we're, we're running late. It says, praying all times with prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert with perseverance making supplication for all the saints. James 4, 7, and we'll close with this verse. We've got on the armor. We're doing what we can do with what God has given us, and we trust in those promises, and we are excited about those promises. Some of us, I have met people, and I look at it this way. Some of the people that I think about missionaries, and I think about, I've I've had pastor friends that have pastored some of the hardest ministries in the hardest locations, and I think, you know, Does that mean that God has a little bit more favor on them? Maybe it does. I don't know if I can do it. I look at some of us that go through tough times and we wonder, you know, can we, can we keep going? And I say, yes, you can keep going. And there, there's a, there's a favor that God is putting on you that is allowing you to go this because he knows that you can stand firm in it. Look at James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. 
So submit is something that we are entering into. I am submitting to God. I'm acknowledging I am the Lord's. I am His. I'm making a stand today. I am going to be a child of God. I'm going to live as a child of God, and I'm going to follow Christ. I am making that decision. I am His. Resist the devil. I don't even know if my wife knows this, but I'm going to tell you a little story. When I was in the Marine Corps, Marines can do some things that don't glorify the Lord. In my life, I was living for Christ, and a buddy and I were out and about, and he said, we're going by a strip club. I said, I'm not going. He said, yes, you are, because you're going with me. He was driving. He said, you'll go because I'm driving. I said, I'm not going in. I can tell you that right now. So you know what he did? He pulled up. It was valet parking. He got up, pulled up the strip club. I was sitting in the car. The valet came out to park the car, and valet parked the car, me sitting in it. He said, you're not going? I said, I'm not going. He said, why aren't you going? I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not having anything to do with that. He said, well, I've never parked a car with somebody sitting in it. I said, you mean to hold the keys for you? We drove around, and he said, well, I don't know whether to give you the ticket or him the ticket. I said, I can give it away. I'm just getting out of the car. There I sat, strip club parking lot, and the valet parked the car. About 10 minutes later, my buddy comes out and says, I Drove off. Had a choice to make. Go in, stay in the car. It's not difficult. When we submit to God, we resist the devil. Now, some of us try to get as close to something as we can and act like we're not going to fall prey to it. You know? We, 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 we think we can get as close as we can. You want to hear, I've got a great counseling session on dating and smooching you want to have sex out of marriage don't start kissing that not true what does kissing lead to okay do i need to get out of my charts if you don't want to do this and don't do that if you don't want to eat ice cream every night quit buying ice cream if you want to have pure thoughts, quit watching filth on TV. If you want to quit cussing, quit listening to people cuss. If you don't want to do that, don't do that. If you're tired of looking at stuff on the Internet, pull the Internet out of your house. It's not hard. Stop doing what you don't want to do and remove yourself from anything that's going to cause you to do it. I heard a statistic about the number of men in pornography on their phone. If I had any indication that that would be a temptation in my life, I would have a rotary phone in my back pocket. It's not hard. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Now, is God going to be truthful? Is God going to lie to us? Guess what happens when we submit to God and resist the devil? He'll flee from us. Every time he'll flee from us. When we do right and we believe right and we make that stand, I, I look at it this way. If the devil comes to me and I'm living right and I'm doing right and I'm striving to be right and the devil comes to me, I'm going to look up and go, I'm with him. He's mine. Go away. And the word of God says he will. But we have to live it out every day. Believe it every day. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. One more verse, and then I'm going to pray. 1 Peter 5, 9 through 11. Be sober-minded, be watchful. 
1 Peter 5, 9 through 11, verse 8. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a warring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's encouraging to me. No temptation has overtaken you, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. There's not a temptation that I can have that no one else has already dealt with, and Jesus Christ hasn't already conquered. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In the midst of temptation, in the midst of difficult times, we submit to God, we resist Satan, we stand firm in the faith, and through God's grace and his eternal glory in Christ, he will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen, and he will establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I love the way God did this through Peter's writing. He reminding us, yes, there's an enemy, but you stand firm, and it is his glory and dominion that will reign forever. That is great hope for us as a church. Because as we look around, we see so much out there that could discourage us. Yes, Satan is alive and well, but until the church is removed from this place, we are more than victorious. The Bible says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through those that are in Christ. We're not defeated. We're victorious. Instead of hiding in a bunker, we need to be like that commercial and run to the battle. That's where the... That's where the gospel needs to be shared, out there. Submit, resist, and stand firm. Let's stand in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We're so thankful that you literally have paid it all for us. Yes, there's an enemy. Yes, we need to be aware. Yes, we need to be ready. Yes, we need to be wise, but yet not fearful. We need to respect, but not be in trembling. Because you have paid it all. You have conquered death and sin and given us new life. Lord, you've defeated the devil. And I pray that we realize that this evening. We thank you for the gospel and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we sing, let it be a a time of, of worship and that we realize he paid it all.